Well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, my name is Dave Greiner, and actually the first year Maureen and I moved here to St. Louis, we attended here in 1982. We just saw John and Pam Degler a little bit ago and reminded that we uh, had lunch with them at their home. That's 40 plus years ago. And some of your faces also look familiar, though you look a little bit older than you did then. <laughs> we stayed the same. <laughs> It was reported that Bishop Fulton Sheen once walked into a greasy spoon restaurant to eat breakfast one morning, and the waitress asked him what he wanted to eat. I bring me some ham and eggs and a few kind words, he said. About 15 minutes later, she returned with the breakfast and set it on the table in front of him. There you go, she said. What about those kind words? She looked at him for a few seconds and replied, I advise you not to eat those eggs. <laughs> Does the world seem a bit unkinder than it used to? Does it seem like it's lost some of its graciousness? I wonder if it could be said that the followers of Jesus Christ are kinder than one at one point, or more gracious? Do we treat visitors and guests with graciousness? The title today is Being Gracious in an Ungracious World. And as we consider this area of graciousness and kindness, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. The story, one of the stories of David. I'll begin reading at verse 1. This is from the ESV. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. One of the first principles of Bible study is to look for repeated words in a text. It will help you discover a little bit about what the passage is about. And the word, the word kindness, at least in the ESV, appears three times in verse 1, verse 3, and in verse 7, kindness. 
Another important principle is to discover the meaning of words, especially in their original language. Since the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, let's do a little bit of a study on this word translated kindness, one of the most important words in the Old Testament. So I think we have a slide on this. The Hebrew word translated kindness is hesed, and it means faithfulness to covenant obligations expressed in acts of generosity and kindness. This word appears 248 times in the Old Testament. 150 of those times, it's translated, or 149 of those times, it's translated mercy. 40 times it's translated kindness, and 30 times it's translated loving kindness. Some versions will uh, actually perhaps use the word grace, because that's really the, the concept of this word, is grace. Hesed is central to God's character. It's, close, it's closely tied to his covenant with his chosen people. In fact, the covenant may be thought of as the relationship from which hesed flows. Acts of hesed presuppose the existence of a relationship between parties involved. And where no formal relationship has previously been recognized, the person exercising hesed has chosen to treat the recipient as if such a relationship did exist. One writer put it like this. I think we have a slide on that as well. The word hesed is the descriptor par excellence of God in the Old Testament. The word speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who is in a position of power. This was the Israelites' experience of God. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him, and he kept his covenant with them long after their persistent breaking of it had destroyed any reason for his continued keeping of it. Unlike humans, this deity was not fickle, undependable, self-serving, and grasping. Instead, he was faithful, true, upright, and gracious. So you can probably see that our English word kindness really falls very short of helping us to understand what David had in his heart. He says, I want to show kindness to any of the descendants of Saul for Jonathan's sake. So David is doing some reminiscing one day, and he wants he has something in his heart that he wants to pour out. It's grace. It's kindness. It's hesed. He has spent some time reflecting on that era of his life when he was in exile from King Saul. That was nearly 10 years that he was hiding, running for his life. He begins wondering if there are any descendants of Saul, and especially Jonathan, who might still be alive. Turn back a couple pages to 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel 4, and reading verse 4. We learn in the narrative, it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old. 
when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Now, the narrative doesn't tell us here, but you all remember that there was a battle at the very end of uh, 1 Samuel when King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. So here the narrative is telling us that this Jonathan, this dear friend of David, had a son. And he became crippled as they, the nurse picked him up and was running as they hear that, that his dad and grandpa had been killed. She flees, and as she fled in haste, it tells us he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So even before we come to this chapter 9, and we know about Mephibosheth, David doesn't know about Mephibosheth. He has not heard the news that Jonathan had a son. He doesn't know that there are descendants at all. So he finds out from a servant named Ziba about Mephibosheth. And he sends for him. Now, back in biblical days, whenever someone became king, whether it was in Israel or other nations, one of the first things they did was to discover if there were any descendants of the previous king and to have them killed. Because if not, if they didn't do that, that person could lay, lay claim to the throne and perhaps would get a group of uh, enemies around him and attack the king. And so that's the first thing they did. So that was in Mephibosheth's mind when the summons comes, King David wants to see you. And uh, we can see by his body language that he fully expected the worst. He falls down on his face. He prostrates himself before the king. And he offers him great respect and reverence. Now, it's, even though David was a righteous king, it's a good possibility that Mephibosheth had not heard good things about David because he would have heard news that had come to him, oral history that had come to him uh, from others, from his own family members who despised David. They were Saul's people. And so Mephibosheth perhaps had not heard good things about David at all. Mephibosheth probably didn't know about the covenants that David had sworn. Let's look at a couple of those covenants. First of all, we're going to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we're looking at the relationship that David had with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. Chapter 20, and I'd like to begin reading at verse 12. At this point, David is going to be going into hiding from King Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And Jonathan swears his protection to do everything he can to keep David alive. Let's look at what Jonathan says to David in verse 12, chapter 20 again. Jonathan said, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he, he's talking about King Saul, if he is well disposed toward David, Shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, that be to me, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love. That's the word hesed. Show me the hesed of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your hesed, your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So these two had entered a covenant of hesed, this covenant love. I will never forget this covenant love. Now let's move over a couple pages to Jonathan's father, Saul. Chapter 24, 1 Samuel 24, one of the times you all know the story where David is hiding and then Saul goes into a cave, the very cave that David and his men are hiding in to relieve himself. And he certainly was within strike, a strike of David's sword or even one of David's men. And David spared his life and later when Saul leaves the cave and gets far enough distance away, David reveals himself to him. And let's look at what he says, or what Saul says to him. 1 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 20. Saul says to David, again, there's a long distance between them, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you'll not cut off my offspring after me, and that you'll not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Oaths, these promises meant something back then, and they're supposed to mean something today. The oaths that we swear to our spouses when we're married. I understand you guys were just married a few weeks ago. You're going to keep your vows? Of course you are. They shook their head yes, by the way. And you would expect that. Now, as we return to our narrative in 2 Samuel 9, I suppose it was the Lord, the, the Spirit of the Lord, who reminded David of these promises, of these vows. And remember, up to this point, David did not know that Jonathan had a son. And so he, he's, fine, he's meeting Mephibosheth for the very first time. Time And now he can follow through with his vows to the descendants of Saul, to the descendant of Jonathan. And now we can pick up where we left off reading. Let's, let's start verse 7 again, chapter 9, 2 Samuel 9, verse 7. David said to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, I will show you hesed. For the sake of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage. So here Mephibosheth's answer. What is your servant that you should regard, have show regard for such a dead dog such as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I've given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. 
Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And just so we don't forget, the narrator says, now he was lame in both feet. He's reminding us that Mephibosheth had no way that he could provide for himself. He was helpless. In the eyes of many, he was worthless. What could he do? I love Mephibosheth's response. He goes there expecting probably to die. He calls himself a dead dog. He has no hope. And now he receives this offer, this hesed from David. You will sit at my table. You'll be treated like my son. It's a beautiful picture of adoption, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of our spiritual adoption. Once the Bible says we were the enemies of God, and now we've been invited to sit at his banquet table. Such is salvation. Such is the grace of God. Mephibosheth would no longer be treated as one with a disability, as a servant, as an outcast. He'd be treated like a son. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we might have a slide on this, I don't remember what I sent in, for while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you put your faith in Christ, in, your, in Christ as Savior? Have you repented? Have you turned away from your own sin and heard and responded to the good news of Jesus Christ? Brokenness, blameness, blindness, lameness, helplessness, these are all prerequisites to receiving God's mercy. When the Pharisees asked why Jesus was spending so much time with the sinners of his time, of his day, he replied, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the 1700s, we have a slide on this, the 1700s songwriter Joseph Hart wrote, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty, glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, 
you will never come at all. We are all like Mephibosheth. We are helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We are dependent upon the Hesed, the covenant love of God to rescue us. Now, David had tasted of God's Hesed, hadn't he? He had tasted of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God had been imputed to his, credited to his account. He was a saved man. Fifty times in the Psalms, David uses this Hebrew word, hesed. Let's just uh, read a couple of those verses to you. I think we have a, a Psalm 13, verse 5. I have trusted in your hesed, David says. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The next one from Psalm 21, 7. The king trusts in the Lord and through the hesed of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The next one, Psalm 32, 10. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but hesed or steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And then we have, is there one more? I've not hidden your deliverance Within my heart, I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your hesed, your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you'll not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. I love where David says, I'm not hidden. I've not hidden your hesed from the congregation. Jesus put it like this, don't let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Hesed is not something we keep to ourselves, friends. It is transformational. The love of God transforms us and it continues daily to, to make us into the image of Jesus. We have to show his kindness, his mercy and his grace to other people. That's a good place for an amen, by the way. We have to. We're not to keep it to ourselves. This is, this is why David couldn't keep this, this kindness to himself. He had to find out, is there, are there any descendants of Jonathan so I can fulfill the vows I made to him? And he finds out not only is there a son, there's a grandson. Who are the Mephibosheths in your life? What acts of love can you pour out on others? No, no, not looking to others for you to pay back something they've done for you. They've shown you this first. No, we are to take the initiative. God has filled us with his love so that we can show his love to others. Would you say that kindness is, is one of the qualities that the Lord is working forth in your life? Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in Perfect harmony. 
like Mephibosheth, we were as good as dead before Christ. Like him, we were helpless. There is nothing in us that caused God to notice us and redeem us. It came out of his own heart of love. The name Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. I don't think Jonathan named him. I think this was a name probably that someone put on him after his accident, after he became, quote, useless. They probably renamed him. To them, in their sight, he was a shameful thing. Can you imagine every time someone calls your name, hey, shameful thing. What a terrible name. Jill Briscoe tells the true story of a British factory worker and his wife. They were so excited when after many, many years of marriage, they discovered they were going to have their first child. The man was one of the only Christians who worked at the factory where he worked, and he relayed the good news to his fellow workers. He told them that God had answered our prayers. My wife is is going to have a child. And they made fun of him. You prayed about such a thing? They laughed at him. They mocked him. When the baby was born, he was diagnosed as having Downs. As he made his way to work for the first time after the baby's birth, he wondered how he was going to face his fellow workers. God, please give me wisdom, he prayed. And just as he feared, some of them said mockingly, so God gave you this child. The new father stood for a long time, silently asking God for help. At last he said, I'm glad the Lord gave this child to me and not to you. Paul Westerfeld wrote, You and I are Mephibosheths. The similarities between his life and ours are just too compelling. Before the father drew us near by his own initiative, we spent our lives running from him in brokenness and shame. We feared that entering his presence would bring judgment upon our heads. When finally we lay trembling at his feet, he touched us gently and said, don't be afraid. He lifted us up and said, I'm going to give back to you everything you ever lost because of sin. I'm going to give you an inheritance, blessing, and riches in the heavenly places. But more than that, I want you forever in my presence. And I'm going to call you my child. And when we protested, but why would you care about a worthless loser like me? He said, because I know your brother Jesus. And for his sake, I'll do it all on your account. From a slave to a son from shame to forgiveness, from enmity to friendship. One of uh, our favorite groups, a group uh, called Sovereign Grace, they have, they have a wonderful, wonderful playlist of songs. One of their songs, Jesus Thank You, goes like this. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness, know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. 
once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. This is the grace that the Lord has bestowed on us. We're seated at his table now. When we have the Lord's Supper, we're seated at his table. He comes, uh, he, he lives in our hearts, and when we sit down to have a meal by ourselves or with our families or with our friends, he is there with us. We could say we're seated at his table, but most importantly, he's preparing a banquet table for us that will last eternally. And all we can say is, Jesus, thank you. Would you pray with me? Words, words don't even suffice, Lord. But our hearts are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship for all that you've done. Like Mephibosheth, we perhaps could even refer to ourselves as a shameful thing, bound in our sin, unable to free ourselves until your grace entered in and saved us. You rescued us. And now, Lord, you've seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you.